0: Special episode of the Yoga Focus podcast. So for April, we are celebrating Occupational Therapy Month, and I get to talk to one of my favorite people ever, Doctor Alana Marie, <laughs> Doctor of Occupational Therapy, um, to kind of explain this strange and interesting profession that we both belong to, and uh, what it has to teach. Yoga teachers. I think there's a lot of things that really intersect in terms of occupational therapy and yoga. So, welcome,
1: Dr. Alana. Hi, thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm super excited about it.
0: So you kind of have two different businesses going on. Uh, you have your your main business is Birchwood OT, right? Where you you see patients and you do a lot of home visits.
1: Yeah, we have home visits and also virtual visits, and then uh, sometimes we get to do visits out in the community.
0: And you do like a little bit of a mixture of kids and um, maybe a little bit older?
1: Yeah, yeah. I have uh, children clients, and then I have adults. So they can range in age all the way, adulthood, and then sometimes um, even older older adults.
0: Mm-hmm. So the full lifespan.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then your second kind of venture is the Fantastic Box. So tell me a little bit about that.
1: Fantastic Box is just a wonderful business that I love to do because it's a box of fun OT things to do each month. In a box, so I have it geared right now for children, and there are activities inside to help them encourage proper development. So it can be for children who are typically developing, and also for children who um, have a diagnosis or receive services to help them have access to OT at home with their family to very help them neat. improve their skills. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah.
0: And really like specialized too. I mean, I think like when I've talked to you before, you put a lot of thought into what you put into each box for each person. It's very individual.
1: Yeah. I really uh, make every single box customized and a lot of the games are handmade. So I like to take into account the child. Who's receiving the box because I think it's important for them to be successful with the activities and have like a just right challenge. Mm -hmm. So it's really fun for me to make games that complement their skill set so that they can grow. And my goal is that they're able to play these games with their parents or their siblings so that not only are they gaining skills in, like, say, using their hands, they're also gaining the skills to connect with their family members, which brings about closeness within the family and to themselves. Hmm.
0: So you used one of my favorite terms, which is the just right challenge. And that's a term that I, I try to explain to my yoga teachers, because I think when you're trying to have some sort of a therapeutic effect on somebody, creating that particularly um, matched challenge so that they have just the right level of challenge is so important for the person to be really engaged and immersed in what they're doing. Can you kind of explain a little bit more like what, what do you consider to be the just right challenge?
1: Just right challenge for me is when you're engaged in a task that requires some sort of problem solving Or um, a different way, a different approach than you normally take. And then when you use those approaches and problem solving techniques and you reach the end of the task, you felt like you learned something and you're proud of yourself and you are energized by the task Hmm. instead of like, you know, feeling overwhelmed or like, I can't do this. And so that's my goal with Just Right Challenge is by the time you're done with it, you should feel energized.
0: That's really neat. Yeah, something that's engaging and using your skills and uh, really helps to bring up your energy. That's a a great way of explaining it. So that brings me into the million dollar question, which is, (laughs) do you remember the first day of OT school when they told us to start practicing? how to explain what occupational therapy is. And I feel like now we're 10 years into our profession and I still need to like practice how to explain what OT is because it's such a broad category. So when somebody asks you what you do for a living, how do you explain what occupational therapy is?
1: That's such a such a good question because it's so true. Like, To this day, I'm continuing to redefine and remake my definition of what is OT. And I've noticed that the thing I do first is like, I look at who's asking me, you know, like, is it, you know, my friend's grandpa asking me, what is this occupational therapy? I don't need a job. I'm retired. (laughs) So that's like, okay, wait a second. He's coming at it from like, where people that help you find jobs, So I need to explain it to him in a way that like he can relate to. So like for my friend's grandpa, then I would say, you know, like your job of getting up every day to make it to the shower and get dressed and eat meals. That's the kind of job you do each day that you need help with. And then they say, oh, all right. Well, I never looked at getting dressed as like a job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it sometimes it depends on the you know the person, so that's one of my my ways. <laughs> but my general explanation is that we occupational therapists are the masters of helping people get to their everyday life activities. Mm-hmm. So, and then sometimes I get more questions from that. Well, like, well, like what? yeah (laughs) (laughs) so and then I say it depends you know it and it encompasses a lot so it goes from getting dressed to managing you know how to shop for groceries how to pay your bills to finding spirituality and leisure activities to managing how to be a parent you know and how to go to school and then different roles that life throws at you like that you know student, parent, daughter, you know, sister, like these are all things that like we experience as part of life. And that's what OT does. They help you experience life through all these different things.
0: Yeah. Like being able to fully engage in all of those roles. And I always like to use the term problem solver. Like I feel like OTs are the specialist at Being the problem solver. And I'll tell my patients sometimes, you know, think about how you're doing at home, think about what's challenging you right now. Come in and tell me what it is, and we'll sit down and problem solve how we can help you to do that more easily or with less pain or less fatigue. We are always there to help
1: problem solve. I think that's a fun part of our job. Yeah, you said it perfectly. That's a great point. Like, yeah, we're definitely problem solvers. And I feel like People don't even know sometimes that they might have a problem until they have a problem, right? That's yeah. How it goes. And then they're like, well, what do I do with this problem? Well, you just bring it right to your OT. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yep. And that keeps our job really interesting because I feel like pretty much every day I go to work, some new challenge comes up that I have to figure out. And it's really just about using those problem solving skills because you can't cover everything in school. So you really just have to be able to figure it out right there. Oh, yeah,
1: I completely agree with you. That's one of my favorite thing about being an OT is like, not every day is the same. And not every mm-hmm. problem is the same. Like, in, you know, for children, it might be, oh, they have poor handwriting. But it's the details that make their handwriting poor that I get to figure out how to fix. Yeah. I
0: think a, a really new concept in yoga has been the idea of individual variation. Like in the past, the classical way of teaching yoga was there was there was one way of doing poses or one way of doing a sequence and everybody had to do it that same way. And now we're starting to kind of come around and figure out, well, everybody's bone structure is a little bit different and everybody's nervous system functions a little bit differently. So how can we take that information and figure out how to adapt the practice? So One of the things that I wanted to ask you about is OTs get really involved, especially pediatric OTs get really involved in like sensory re-education and sensory integration, like using that system. So um,
1: how do you use that within your practice? I love sensory integration because I feel like it's the foundation of our bodies, you know, and how we perceive and interact with things, you always need a sensory kind of environment, or experience. So in pediatrics, for me, I, I try to provide an experience that like, uh, helps with engagement. So Mm -hmm. I kind of assess, you know, my client, Are, are they moving around a lot? Okay, they're looking for movement experience. And then I Whatever's in my environment, I try to provide. So um, if I don't have anything, let's just say it's a room with nothing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> nothing but a yoga mat. Like, what it might be, do, right? <laughs> it could be. So um, then I would lay down with them on the floor, you know, like we're both laying on our backs, feet touching and holding our hands. And maybe we're doing like seesaw rocking, you know, they're pulling me, I'm pulling them, one's up, one's down. And that's creating a sensation of movement. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, it's also using like multi-sensory layers, like we're making eye contact, we're holding hands. So now we have touch. Um, We could sometimes sing a song with it or say, hey, pull me up faster. So now we have sound that we're doing or, you know, for singing. So for me, I feel like there must always be some sort of sensory component whenever you're engaging with somebody.
0: Yeah, that's a really great example of how you pull in all of the different sensory systems were engaged in just that simple task that we kind of take for granted. There's always sound input. There's always the input of what we can touch. All of those things kind of being pulled in and giving our our nervous system information. One of the things that I've started to kind of pay attention to a little bit more though is like the The differences between people. So I have a couple that I'm doing private sessions with and the wife loves candles, like loves anything that has a certain smell, loves when I light candles, the whole thing. Like it just makes her so happy during our yoga sessions. Her husband does not like candles, doesn't like anything with a strong smell. So it's like two opposite kind of, um, Preferences during the yoga session.
1: <laughs> Tricky. Yeah. You have opposing sensory needs. Yeah. Yes.
0: So I feel like as a yoga teacher, especially when you're doing one on one sessions, you can you can hone in on that and kind of try to gather information about what that person likes or doesn't like so you can understand their nervous system better. And I know like as an OT, we use the sensory profile right do you use the sensory profile somewhat with your
1: patients yeah i like using the sensory profile when i need concrete data um mm-hmm. because in the sensory profile you know they they can come out sensory seeking more than others or much more and then on the opposite spectrum less than others much less than others that's mm-hmm. sensory seeking just one of the examples but it does help me um. figure out, is this a sensory or is it a, is a behavior? And, you know, a lot of times there's a big toss up about that too. What yeah. comes first behavior, the sensory, and the most of the time they're integrated, you know, that it's both, but how much of one or the other is what I really want to know? How much mm-hmm. is it sensory? How much is it behavior? What's it, you know? And um, that's why I like the sensory profile. So to kind of hash
0: that out, do you just uh, try different types of input and see how they respond to it? Do you have a certain way that you kind of problem solve through that?
1: I do. I, I definitely think, you know, on look back on the sensory profile, also what the parent tells me. And then I found that the most important thing is my observation. And like you said, the the problem solving of trialing something. Mm -hmm. trial and error, you know, like, I'll notice, like your yoga couple, the sensory preferences are maybe opposing, but they're not too far off. They're similar in a way. Like you said, you're the one lady loves the smell. So she's sensory seeking, she can't get enough. Mm -hmm. Whereas he's avoiding the smell. There's always too much. But yet, they're both in the same category as not being in the middle. So, like, then I know from that I can kind of modulate, like, give her some, but not too much, you know, mm-hmm. and then give him just a little to experience, but then take it away so that he's not overwhelmed. So, huh. yeah, stuff like that, like, is really cool because they say also you could, you know, the sensory seeker, there's never enough, but you also have to try to hit enough so that they're like, oh, okay, I'm cool now. Yeah, that's that's so
0: interesting. So in the beginning, I just kind of stopped using candles altogether. And I thought, well, you know, I don't want to bother anybody with the smell. What I started doing, though, was I would give the wife a few drops of essential oil to kind of rub on her hands. So she would have a little bit of that smell input and his mat is only like three feet away so he was getting like a little bit of it but it wasn't overwhelming so it's so interesting the way that you explained that I was like oh I think I was kind of doing that without even realizing that I was trying to kind of bring them both back toward that middle ground so
1: that's interesting kudos that's exactly what you were doing that's (laughs) awesome yeah yeah that's what you know because like you said like they're on either end and both of them need to experience what modulation is like.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Really neat. That's why you're the best.
0: (laughs) It's because I always talk to you and learn new things. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the other things that you've brought up in our previous conversations that I thought was super interesting was the importance of play. And I mean, when you're working with kids, therapy is play. You're almost like, I don't want to say tricking them into doing what you need them to do, but you're sort of leading them in that direction and having them do the therapeutic thing without them necessarily feeling like they're doing an exercise, right? But um, I feel like as we get older, we start to really miss out on that. Like everything becomes so serious and yoga is so guilty of this, like, yoga classes can be so serious and so sterile and you're not supposed to like giggle or anything like that but i feel like in a certain environment like play and fun is so so important so that maybe you could explain to us why
1: <laughs> yes play is a subject that is so like dear to me because i believe in the power of play so so much and I believe that it's our natural way to play because through play comes like problem solving, creativity. Um, it gives us a chance to explore without having limits or bounds. And I feel like our brains are so complex that that's exactly what it's made for. And there's really no way to access that kind of ability without play. Cause mm-hmm. it's integrating like, just to say, you're imagining, and and this is true. This is why I think meditation is so wonderful, especially in the yoga practice, is because you're imagining a place, and then all of a sudden, right? So now you've engaged the right side of your brain, and then there's, I don't know, what would be in your path if you're walking along somewhere, like outside? Yeah, um, oh,
0: trees and
1: right so okay you have trees and rocks and with a prompt they're like well what would you do with these trees and rocks you know and now you have the left side of your brain starting to think what do I use this for how do I do it what could it be so now you have a right brain that's envisioning this path that you're walking in could be in the woods you know and Mm -hmm. like now you have this whole picture created so you have your whole right brain engaged and now that you have a, something to solve, something to do, you have your left side engaged. And I really feel like through playing this imaginative journey, you're coming up with all these different ideas and things. So for me, I feel like play is so important. And as we age, it's almost like we feel like, well, we don't need to play anymore. Or they call it, oh, well, that's child's play. Yeah. But I feel that. Being connected with the ch- you child, the child that's in you, <laughs> <laughs> is so lighthearted. It's so stress relieving. There's no demands on you. Your child. Your your job is to play and giggle and create. So I feel like as adults, we need to find ways to do that for, like, benefit of our health, of our mind, and to spark new ideas. We have to learn to new, make new pathways in our brain somehow. And that's how you do it through play.
0: Uh, yeah. Working on creativity. It's so interesting that it's really a way to engage both sides of the brain. I never really thought of that. I mean, and the vital thing that we all need, especially right now is that, that stress relief when things are really difficult, we need that even more. So that's, that's such an interesting aspect of it. There was a a quote that I heard and I can't remember it word for word, but it was something to the effect of you can learn more about a person and connect more to a person in 10 minutes of play than you can in 10 conversations because it has such an effect of creating connection. And that's the other thing that I feel like we all need nowadays is that sense of stronger connection.
1: Absolutely. And I think that comes back to the whole sensory integration foundation point, because when you're play, you're moving around, you know, you're, you're doing something together that involves sensory input, like moving, or if you're in the dirt, you have this touch, this experience. If you're in the sunlight, you feel the warmth on you, you know, and you're playing together. So you're, you know, making this eye contact. And I feel like humans are meant to have these sensory experiences. And it's almost like even in tribes, you know, they're chanting, they're all around in a group doing the same movements, hmm. you know, experiencing the same sensory input. And that's what causes connections.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of like what we're trying to recreate in a modern day yoga class. That's so interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah. That's why I think, that's why um, I don't even think I know. I know that yoga is like so vital as, as a, just as something that you do every day is to have a yoga practice. Mm -hmm. Spiritual. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think that's the other component that a lot of people are missing in their everyday life is like some sort of a spiritual connection. And there's so many studies out there that, Show having some sort of a spiritual connection, whatever it might be if you practice a certain religion or if yoga or some other sort of practice is how you feel that spiritual connection. it's so important for our mental health and our overall brain function that we have that. I think it was a an article about the things that are preventative for Alzheimer's disease and it was like stress relief you know, regular cardiovascular exercise and a spiritual practice. And I was like, oh, there we go. Get your <laughs> yoga in. <laughs> Get your yoga
1: in. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's huge, huge to have a yoga practice or meditation and, you know, do both because you really reduce on a cellular level the stress that's in your body. We don't even know it. We're just like humans – going about our day you know and sometimes I don't even know if we know that we're stressed. Oh yeah we've we hit a point you know it becomes almost so normal and baseline that
0: I feel like a lot of people don't realize how much stress there is until you're like at the end of your yoga class and you're in that relaxation and the layers kind of start to peel back and you're like, oh man, like this was really tense and I was worrying or ruminating about this and and you just feel that stuff starting to peel away. That's when you really become aware of how much we carry around just on a a daily basis that we don't realize. So that actually pulls me to the next thing that I wanted to bring up, which is the the biopsychosocial model. So when we were in school and we had to study all these frameworks, um, I always like to say OTs were using the biopsychosocial model before it was cool. Like everybody else jumped on the bandwagon. <laughs> but we were all over that from the beginning. <laughs> and 100%. yeah, right? But uh that's that's kind of one of the things like when we're explaining what occupational therapy is and like why it's different from physical therapy because everyone always asks you that like why is it different from physical therapy because sometimes it looks the same on the outside. But that that component of thinking about mental health and social connection, I feel like is so integral to what OTs do. And it's not necessarily highlighted in some of the other healing professions, like the importance of mental health and addressing that in terms of our patients healing or our yoga students feeling engaged.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Mental health and health general health are so closely connected. There is this story about this guy. I don't know all the details, but this guy was able to think himself into having like all these cardiac issues. And he was, you know, thinking and thinking and thinking about it. And then they took him for a test. And sure enough, this was, you know, he said tested before these thoughts and tested afterwards. And after these recurring thoughts he then did have heart problems. So it shows you the power of the brain and how we think and how it relates to our organs and this is strong information because the brain is like the hub, you know, of yeah. our whole bodies. It's the, it's the mother.
0: It has that ripple effect to everything else in the body. And the example that I use with my yoga students When we're talking about anatomy and we're studying the nervous system and like the there's a big thing in yoga where we work on observing our thoughts and then trying to gently direct our thoughts away from things that are um, damaging or negative. We try to work on managing that for our overall health because we feel like there's this ripple effect from what you think impacting the cells in your body. So we always talk about like visualizing a lemon. And thinking about biting into that lemon is like super sour and you can feel the juice. And then noticing what happens as you're visualizing that. And a lot of times your mouth will start to water just from thinking about it. Like there's no lemon. You're not drinking anything or biting anything sour. But your body still has that physiological reaction just from a thought or just from a, a mental image and I think that just shows the th- how strong that connection is. I mean, in your example, to the point of if we really ruminate on things that are negative, it can have such a a strong negative effect on our physiology, and then we can flip that around and uh just think about how much of a positive effect we could be having when we're doing positive thought patterns. so so
1: interesting, the power it- of the mind. It truly is. And I love that uh example of the lemon that you said because it's like we can only envision these things because of stored sensory information from our brain, our body. Ah. And yeah. And you know, it's a lot of times when people are stressed, it's that there's this little walnut piece in your brain. They call it a walnut shaped organ and well, it's not an organ in your brain, but it's a little center that's called your amygdala. So that's like That's your center for picking up stress. It's like, that's its job. It wants to find stress and then keep you safe by saying, hey, there's a potential problem here. Do something about it. You know, and it's constantly activated and we don't even know. And I feel like practicing yoga and like knowing that you can change your thoughts around can decrease this Little center, your amygdala, from being overactive by thinking other thoughts, controlling it.
0: Like, Just getting that power to kind of steer your mind in a certain direction. Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: That's pretty neat that that we can learn these tools to have such a strong impact on our mental health and then the ripple effect to our physical health. Really, really super useful tools and, uh, practice that we do. Very neat.
1: Yeah. I, I find it so fascinating. And I feel like that's like a thing that you're not going to get at another therapy, you know, like OT is going to know, especially these two OTs. Talking right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> that, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a huge connection because it's not like you're like, Oh, wow. worry so much, you know, well, not that you're you don't mean to is that you're wired to sometimes and you just have to change direction and can you know control those thoughts flip them over to the positive side and then you can create you know better health that whole ripple
0: effect yeah i always like the saying that you get good at what you practice so if you're practicing worrying and being in that fear response all the time. You get really good at thinking about things to get worried about. You're you're giving that amygdala all sorts of exercise. It's like pumping its little muscles there.
1: But <laughs> Exactly.
0: <laughs> if you practice like recognizing that pattern and then flipping the pattern. So I'm a, a huge fan of doing mantras or affirmations, like whatever people feel like is more effective for them. I find that mantras and affirmations are super helpful to me when I get stuck in that that fear or that worry pattern. And once I recognize it, I'm like, oh, all right, we got to cut that out. And then I just go through a few repetitions of my mantra. And it's almost like um, like scrubbing the blackboard, <laughs> all the little thoughts that were popping up into my brain. I just kind of like swipe everything clean, replace it with something else that's going to have a more positive effect. And I've found that whole process to be super useful.
1: So useful. I love doing your mantras. Like if I'm over in the sea, cause there is a time when like that amygdala is so overactive that you cannot say, okay there, think about something else. You need mm-hmm. to do something like a mantra to really reset. Like you said, or erase the board, start over. And I feel like, doing that is so important and it it works. I love listening to your mantras. You're fantastic at cleaning (laughs) the board. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks
0: for that. (laughs) And some people out there who are young are like blackboard. What's that?
1: (laughs) I know you're perfect at (laughs) erasing the iPad doodle. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah. Mantra is really important because it just it gives you something to focus on. And then uh, then you can't focus on anything else. You know, I have this great elder in my life that always says, you know, try to feel your elbow and your big toe at the same time. He's hmm. like, you, you, can feel, you can feel them. The switch may be really fast, but you can't feel both at the same time. So it's oh kind of like our thoughts. That's yeah. so funny. Isn't that awesome? Like you can think, you know, positive, negative, positive, negative. But you can't yeah. do both at the same time. And so huh. your mantras steer you in that positive direction because you don't have time to think about something else. And I, and I love that. And then the more you engage with that mantra, the the longer it holds your
0: attention there. Yeah, because you're right. The brain will keep trying to switch back and be like, well, what about this? I should worry about this. And you're like, nope, back to the mantra. You, have, <laughs> you might have to do it a hundred times, but you can keep like pulling yourself back. That's so neat. Yeah, I love, I love that it.
1: example. Right? Fantastic. You'll have to give credit to Pop for that.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Pop. <laughs> Thanks, Pop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, I mean, the brain is goal oriented, right? It wants you to succeed whatever that succeed, whatever that goal is. So it's like we just have to give it the goal that's mm-hmm. beneficial for our life. Yeah.
0: So when you you went to a kundalini yoga class a few months ago, right, did they do a lot of chanting and mantras in the class?
1: I was not prepared.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a different sort of experience for sure, like the intense breath work and the intense mantras, but... For me, I mean, if you get over the initial weirdness and your brain just goes like, oh my God, did I just join a cult? (laughs) Like once, (laughs) once you get past that and you really start to notice what you feel like after you do all the breath work and like the intense movements, you're like, oh my gosh, that just, I think of it as the reset button for my nervous system. Like you walk in there, you do all that stuff. You walk out and you're like spiritually lighter, more energetic. It just hits the reset button.
1: You're hundred percent correct. Like at first, that's what I'm so I'm like, oh wow, and then like getting through that breath. Honestly, I haven't stopped thinking about that Kundalini class since then. That was months ago. Yeah. Like, like yeah, I want to breathe out my stress through this mantra, and you do. You just let it go, and it's gone somewhere. You know. And mm-hmm. I don't even care where it is. It's just not inside me, you know, like, yeah. And I just thought that was so powerful to like, do this yoga with these mantras and with such intention. I think that was really the part that like, hit home for me like, wow, like, the intention of this practice was so strong that I, I like, I felt like connected. It was so interesting. I felt like connected to myself and the people in the room, even though I didn't know the people in the room. Mm -hmm. It was like, we're experiencing this together. Yeah.
0: It's yeah, it's very intense. And I feel like at some points in my life, like I love meditation and like restorative yoga where you're just staying in a pose and being still and being quiet. But for certain times where my stress level is either really high or I'm just experiencing super intense emotions, that kind of practice just didn't work during those times. Like when you're trying so hard, like, okay, relax. All right. But why am I not relaxing? Like I need to try harder to relax. Whenever I found myself in those kind of situations, I was like, all right, kundalini yoga, That I need that intensity and that serious focus that you get from that practice. The the strong breath work and the, and the jumping around really served me a lot better when I was in those uh, those states of like experiencing intense emotion because it just releases it. It uh, mobilizes it.
1: Yeah. I think that's like such an important thing that you just said, like mobilizes it. Like what's the first thing you do when you're exhausted? You know, you're tired of doing one thing. You're like, oh, let me get up and walk around. You know, mm-hmm. like that's enough to like reset. And then our brain is just a higher intensity. And like, what do we need to do to like, you know, change the pace, have an intense, you have to match the intensity sometimes of the thoughts with the intensity of, you know, your physical activity and positive thoughts, like the other way.
0: Yeah. Match the intensity. That's good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So important. All right. Really cool. Um,
0: So. Anything else that you want to throw out there about kind of what you're doing now? To, actually, um, your your school program, right? You're going through your pre-doctorate classes, or yeah, or so about what you're working on.
1: I obtained my doctorate in OT, specializing in pediatrics. I took extra coursework in pediatrics and learning about sensory processing. Disorders, autism, ADHD. And once I completed that, and I, you know, I wrote my doctorate on the power of play and uh, creating a program for parents in the community to learn how to play with their children as soon as they're born, you know, even one month old babies, so that they can develop health, healthy development through their lifespan. So, you know, they have access to this preventative. OT, as I like to call it, throughout their life, which is, I just think, awesome. And Mm. once I got there, I was like, you know what? I want to keep going to my doctorate, my medical degree doctorate, because I feel like I've been on the side of OT, solving problems, and now I want to be on the other side where I can create um, no problems for families um, on a different scale, so on the more medical side. Of okay. life, so right now I'm working, taking all my pre-medicine classes, um, which you and I had taken yeah. for O two the first time, but um, I'm retaking because I need the higher level sciences, and apparently college classes only last for ten years. So um, <laughs> I'm I'm redoing and learning every bit, loving it because um, I just find it so applicable to like life, like on a different level, you know
0: it really helps you to look at the things that you're seeing already as a therapist. Like you get a whole different angle that you can start looking at and interpreting the cases that you're working with and the people that you come in contact with. So it's really, uh, I mean, I think our field in general is one of those fields where you have to learn and grow constantly because there's just always new information coming out, but you kind of take that to another level. Like you (laughs) I think you love education more than anybody else I know, (laughs) which is awesome.
1: I think, yeah, that's probably why neuroplasticity is one of my favorite topics because I feel like the brain can always change, it can always grow, can keep growing. And it's true. Like I always say, like, There's tracks, there's just thought pathways in your brain, right? Like, like if you don't use these pathways, let's just say, then you have like a blizzard happen where you can't even see the road. Mm. But the pathways that you use all the time are always plowed. Those are like the main roads. So like, instead of plowing the same roads, I want to make new roads. And then always dabble in something so that my roads never get snowed on. (laughs) So. That's
0: such a great way of explaining it. Yeah, it's so visual. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's yeah. very
0: neat. I think the yeah. idea that neuroplasticity exists throughout our lifespan is such an empowering thing. Cause I think the the old way of thinking was like, you know, you hit your like mid-twenties and then everything is downhill from there. <laughs> um, but the idea that we always have that neuroplasticity that we can use to our advantage, like that's such an empowering. Thought, that we can use that to keep our brain healthy.
1: Oh yeah, and right, exactly. Uh, it, there's a big misconception that you know, like say, oh, it's all downhill from here. Uh, no, <laughs> it doesn't have to be downhill from anywhere. You can make new hills, and you can, you know, get over old ones. Like there's, it's never too late. I, that is one of my favorite things that I loved in Bikram yoga was right. You're never Never too old, never too late, never too sick to start from scratch. Mm -hmm. And like one of my favorite things, because it's true, your brain can always make new. Sometimes it might be harder, but it can happen. But it can, yeah. Yeah. It can always happen. It can always happen. So that's part of that like just right challenge, you know, like it can always happen. You're creating new pathways. Mm hmm. And um, there's a favorite part of the brain. It's right at the front. Like if you put your finger right at the top of your hairline, right? That's okay. your prefrontal cortex. So it's at the very, very tip of your frontal lobe. And the frontal lobe is the part of the brain that controls like personality, thinking, organizing. And your prefrontal cortex is a little tiny spot that's responsible for all the most important things problem solving right? Like really problem solving, managing Mm -hmm. time. Basically, whenever you feel like, yes, I did it. That means you used your prefrontal cortex. And you should be proud of yourself, because that little part, (laughs) is so little, it's not always engaged, you have to pick something to engage it. Otherwise, you're just using your regular frontal lobe. So I like to use the prefrontal lobe.
0: Okay, so those really engaging, just right challenges where you have to like dig deep into your skill set and problem solve, that's when we're fully engaging that part of the brain. That's Uh so neat. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been awesome. Um, Tell people where they can find you online. What's a good place to get in touch with you if they're interested
1: in what you offer? Um, You can reach me at my website, which is www.com fantasticbox.me or you can send me an email that would be at the ot dr dr spelled out at gmail.com and i'm super excited to hear from people and to they what kind of questions they might have or problems that i might need to solve <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: And you are offering online sessions since we're right in the middle of our whole lockdown right now with COVID-19. Are you doing online
1: sessions? Yes. Yes, I am. So right during the lockdown and even beyond, I have online sessions. Um, If you don't want to do FaceTime, you know, or, you know, I mean, webcam sessions, we do over the phone consultations and sessions. And then if you have a particular issue. That requires research uh, from like research studies or what's the evidence say about a particular issue. I do that also. So we can talk about what's going on and then I'll research for you the problem and we can figure it out together.
0: Hmm, That's really interesting because I feel like a lot of times people want to do the research on their own. But either don't know where to look, or maybe don't have like the the language and the understanding of how to process through the research. Where your unique skill set is going to let you do that and like distill that information and let that person know what's going to be the most beneficial to them. So that's a really neat service. That's great.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I thought it would be important, like you said, because you know a lot of people do want to research, but not sure where to start, or how mm-hmm. do you know a source is good and. Luckily, I'm so thankful that I did get my OT doctorate, and that was one of the things that really was drilled into us, was how to find research, how to know it's good, and then Mm -hmm. what to do with it. So that's just like, I'm just so excited to be a part of that and to help people get that information.
0: Really figure out how they can apply that to their healing and their wellness. That's Awesome. So I'll put the links in the show notes to all of your different contacts and all of your different information. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to me today. Um, I feel like I learned lots of things. So um, we're going to have to do this again. Sometimes we'll come up with some more topics and do another session, uh, maybe a little bit later on in April
1: for OT month. Definitely. I'm game. This was so much fun for me and I love talking to you about yoga. We always have the best conversations. So thanks for having an awesome podcast and having me on it. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Alana.